Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Go Out and Talk to Strangers. This is Adi, the Nomad Architect, and this is where I share with you ideas and inspiration, hosting founders, entrepreneurs, and extremely talented people to share their experience with us. Today we have Guy. Hi Guy! Hello, how are you doing? Very good, and you? Well, pretty relaxed as well. Pretty relaxed, happy to be on the show. <laughs> we are very happy to have you. I'm going to introduce you. So Guy is an entrepreneur. He was born in France, but he grew up in Germany. Uh, until recently, he had a very interesting co-living uh, project in Bali, Evolve Co-living. And I would love to hear you telling that story yes. of your project. Cool. Where should I start? <laughs> so tell me, Guy, when was the first time you, you heard the term co-living? Or mm. how did you end up creating your own project? Yeah, so co-living, it's a, it's a good one. I started hearing about the term co-living like five years ago, around 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when a friend of mine, he was like touring the world with his bike and he got stuck in Bucharest because it was like super snowy. And he took a big villa and invited a bunch of his friends and opened up a co-living space. Um, and since then, I actually got inspired. I wanted for like three times create co-living spaces and every time it failed because I didn't have the focus or I didn't have the right people. And two years ago was the first time that I finally launched my own co-living space, so the first one. Mm. Yeah, for the last two years, then I've been building nomadic co-living spaces, or pop-up co-living spaces. Pop-up is a, is a great name. So they just come and go, they're seasonal. How do you describe them? Yes, um, they, they last around three months each. Mm-hmm. And most of the times they are based on locations in which my community is living at. Um, and when I say my community, that means my most immediate network, but also people that I resonate with. So people who have an entrepreneurial mindset, who have a digital nomad lifestyle, or who are just curious and want to go into co-living. So that's why we had a, a space last year during like autumn time in Barcelona. And then when it got cold in Europe, we moved to Bali because a lot of people like spent their winter time in Bali. Mm-hmm. And soon we're going to go back to Europe. And we're going to create then a more long-term co-living space. Amazing. And one of the things that's interesting for me in your project is that it's not only about living together. You defined your, your project to be uh, dedicated to personal growth. Yes. Um, how do you do it? Like, what's the difference between sharing a flat or living in, in your project, for example? Mm. When you... Well, when you, for example, look at, at co-living, a lot of places are co-living, right? So, for example, student housing is co-living. Um, yet, when I, <laughs> when I think back about my student housing experience, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't that great because there was with people together that wasn't a fit, where they didn't clean, they weren't very aware of the way they handled others, etc. So, it wasn't a good experience. Um, and w- what I'd love to create... Oh, and what I tried to create every time was intentional co-living. Mm-hmm. So bringing people together for one specific intention. When we were in Barcelona, it was more about lifestyle design slash work and creation. And when we came to Bali, we realized a lot of people come to Bali because they, don't, they actually want to take some time off from work and want to refine themselves. Mm-hmm. So we created a co-living space around personal growth. Um, and what does personal growth entail? Well, 
you know, it entails a lot of connection with others, a lot of confrontation, um, and a lot of discovery. So, for example, um, we would host a lot of events around like topics like personal growth, past traumas, um, breathing, yoga, um, trying like to, to tap into several yeah several areas. Mm-hmm. And what was the size of the of that project? How many community members did you have? So in Bali, we were between four and seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven was the max, four was the, the smallest. And that was a practical approach um, for like three months. And then after those three months, we wanted to have a bigger space for like more than, like in between eight and ten. Like I really think that eight, eight to twelve people is a really good fit for co-living because um, it's diverse enough and still like intimate. But we couldn't, we didn't find a house. And the other thing is we realized a lot of people come to Bali to actually not be creative or not put like time into work. Um, and and we wanted to be surrounded by people who are creative, who are, mm-hmm. you know, creating value to the world. And so we realized that Bali is not the best fit for what we want to create right now. Okay, so you mentioned you're moving to Europe. Do you have a place in mind? It's still a secret. <laughs> no, I don't Ooh. know. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that's great. I love secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a few. Um, I'm hesitating between Lisbon, Barcelona, Paris and Berlin. Both, uh, all of those cities are great. Um, I know you are currently in Lisbon, correct? I am. Yeah. Lisbon is great. It's, it's very dynamic. And I feel like Portugal, it's a magnet for interesting people, yes. really. It's just like the people you meet here, they're unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't been to Berlin, Paris, so, so I need to check it out as well. <laughs> mm. P- Paris would be very interesting because you have very few co-living spaces there. Um, Berlin is currently like growing really quickly in the co-living scene. I think you have more than 12 co-living spaces right now. And Lisbon is growing as well. And then personally, I love Barcelona. So any of those four is going to be determined based on like who is going to be part of this project and what is, this, what is the, the main objective of it as well. And then some, some legal legal terms also. For example, in France, it's way harder to, to create co-living than it is in, in Portugal, for example. Uh, why? Can you explain? Um, so I know, for example, like, let's say in Spain, uh, Spain has a law, or like Barcelona, Catalonia has a law, in which you can only, if you want to live there, uh, under like normal contract terms, you have to live a minimum of 31 days. If not, you're considered just a tourist. So you cannot rent out spaces or co-living spaces for less than a month um, without going into the, the, the tourist sector. Mm. So for example, that's one challenge. In France, um, I, I can't give you a concrete answer why, but I know that the regulation is a bit tougher um, to create to, to create like sub-leasing of, of apartments, basically. I see. Talking about minimum time, what would be the minimum, like in your vision, what's the minimum time you need to be in, in that project to, to get the real value of the co-living experience? I think the ideal time is between one and three months. So ideally, I would love around two-thirds of the residents to stay for one to six months and one-third of them to stay for a shorter period of time, probably minimum like a week or two, maximum two months. So that you have like one base that's more there consistently for like, let's say, three months and who live really together. And then you have a smaller part of the co-living space that's dedicated to people coming in and out um, and still having a good experience and still having time to get integrated. And that gives a bit more variety to the people who live inside. Yeah, I like that. Sounds like a good uh, mix of permanent and the unknown. So you you always have like fresh ideas and fresh people coming in and out. 
I love the factor of the culture exchange. So your ideal tenant, is it locals? Is it um, digital nomads? What's the market? When we were back in Barcelona, actually both Barcelona and Bali, we didn't make a difference between where people came from, like whether they were locals or not. Um, as a matter of fact, we didn't have any local, simply because locals usually already have apartments, right? So they don't need to find something else for like two months. It would cost them double. So everybody who joined our calling space was a digital nomad or somebody who could take himself a week or two or like a month of remote work. And or somebody who just had didn't have any work commitment physical and was able to to be from wherever he wanted or she wanted. In the one in the in our next co-living space, I'd love to have locals living there. And when I say locals, it means people who, for example, if we open in Berlin, people have been living for five years in Berlin, and maybe they just want to experience what co-living looks like. And it'd be great to create a mix between people who are moving there or who are like you know, expats coming to, to a new place and people who are actually already living there. Yeah, I think it's smart because let's say whenever I'm traveling, I'm trying to meet not only local from that yeah. countries, but people that live there that give me like tips of the best places where to eat and where to go and just show me their perspective. So I think it's, it could be very interesting to have both of these people at the same time. And I wonder another thing, because you said you have some experience in creating uh, short-term pop-up co-living spaces. You, you, must, you must learn... Uh, a lot from doing that. So can you share a challenge uh, that you had to deal with or something that you like learned in the first time and did differently in the second? Yes. Well, <laughs> um, well, the, the first, I mean, there were definitely a bunch of uh, different challenges um, or different things that we learned. Let's see. I guess uh, number one, uh, number one challenge was actually to, to find kind of a balance between chaos and structure. Uh, so, for example, uh, we tried over, over the three months that we were in Barcelona, we were around 10, 12 people living together. And we tried a bunch of different things. So we tried, for example, every Sunday family dinner. Mm -hmm. So the first family dinner was amazing. Everybody attended. The second Sunday, you had some people who didn't attend. Mm -hmm. um, and we asked ourselves, do, should we make it mandatory or not? And it was kind of a hard decision. And we decided to not make it mandatory because we wanted people to have the freedom. Um, then we also started doing things like intention setting on Mondays. Uh, same thing. It started with people showing up like very highly and then like re being reduced. So there was a time where we thought, okay, should we just leave it to complete chaos and just leave it to like whatever people want to do out of it? Um, and that didn't work either because as soon as you didn't have a host, uh, people started, yeah, not bonding anymore and not taking initiative. Yeah, one challenge was to to find what is the sweet spot between like how many events can we actually put out there and how much. Stru structure can we impose versus how much chaos can we just like let out falling so what is the right amount like based on your experience yeah well we found a sweet spot what we did was like we started mondays with intention settings and we ended the week with a family dinner um, everything in between we encourage people to host their events so for example in september there was one girl who came and she was so enthusiastic about it she hosted every every day for two weeks she hosted a skill sharing event mm. and she was the one bringing people in and same thing here instead of a lot of people attending at the end like got smaller and smaller.
but it was a great idea, and she had she had fun, and she you know she she could pull it off. Um, and then somebody else was wanting to do an ecstatic dance event, so we did that, and I was like DJing, and it was great. So just basically empowering people. <laughs> and it, are the events only for the members of the community, or is it open to whoever wants to join? Originally it was open, but it was like in Barcelona it was mostly for the members of the community because we never promoted it. And then when we came to Bali, we realized the importance of events. So we opened up the events to everybody. And in fact, we encourage people from the outside of the co-living to host the events at our place for free so that they can bring in, move, like bring in people and so that the people who live at the co-living space also get external value. Mm -hmm. Wow, that sounds good. So what was your favorite event? My favorite event was a men's group event. Um, so we had every other week a men's gathering. The same way we also had a women's circle, but these were two separate events. Mm -hmm. And um, this one was one of that I facilitated as well. And it was very powerful because we ended up screaming out our lungs in the middle of the jungle and going through like a super high intensity workout, like in the rice fields and and just throwing ourselves in the river. And that was... Wow. Yeah, it was uh, it was powerful. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> it sounds very unique. I see all the time women circle, but men don't get the same attention, opportunity to connect and to mm -hmm. express feelings or whatever you guys do there. I don't know. I've never been to a men's <laughs> circle. <laughs> <laughs> You're touching something, right? Like um, uh, masculinity, right? What, what is it? And I think that a lot of people tend to think that, you know, being masculine means being like powerful or being whatsoever. I don't see like the what a true power can be, like vulnerability, right? Um, and often men are not vulnerable, especially not towards each other. So for anyone who listens to this, like I encourage highly to go to men's event because it can be very powerful, regardless of all the, the biases that one can have. Okay, yeah, I like that very much. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. So let's say somebody is looking to start a co-living project. Yes. Or he has this idea of creating community wherever he lives or she. Uh, what would you advise them? What is like the most important factor to take into account? Like the most important thing is, is to figure out why. Right? So why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Because when you figure out why, meaning let's say you want to do it for digital nomads, who just want to come and work for like a week or like who wants to have like a time off, then you're going to find totally different like target audience, like real estate, maybe even furniture. Like, you know, why are you doing it? Is it like a work atmosphere? Are you trying to work? So if yes, then you're going to have, you're going to need a big, one big room that's a co-working room. But if you're doing maybe for artists and for people who just want to come for two weeks and totally disconnect and just like connect with others, um, then you don't need a co-working space, but you're going to need like a bonfire space and like an open space outside and, and maybe like some isolation room where people can produce music or wh whatever the hell it is, right? So, mm -hmm. I love the fact that you're addressing the spaces that you need in the, in the property or in the building itself. Because for me, it, that could make the... Like as an architect, I see how these factors can make a project successful or not if you don't have enough privacy, if you don't address the needs of your um, community members, that they're not going to get the values that you want them to. Yeah, that's super interesting. 
So when you're looking for properties, do you look for specific characters in the space or yes so what we've been looking for so far was always a co-living space so a communal living space a communal workspace a kitchen outside area Mm -hmm. and then also like good quality for the rooms Um, and then in terms of location a central location because that plays a role as well if you are in barcelona and you need to travel 30 minutes every day by scooter in order to get into the city you're most likely not going to stay for longer than two days (laughs) (laughs) or like yeah for sure. Yeah. So the number one thing I would tell people is like, okay, think about what is your why? What is your purpose? Who do you want to do it for? And for what reason? And then you can go into the different criteria of your coloring space. You know, what's the architecture? What's the location? Who is the target audience, etc. If you have a clear why. Mm-hmm. And do you have an idea of how big should it be? Like, is there a limit for size? Good question. Or can you do... <laughs> I think it really depends on the, on the mm-hmm. culture as well, because some cultures, are, it's very natural to live in like big groups. And in like, for example, in Israel, we are very used to having like lots of people around. So if you create a co-living in Israel, you, um, the size wouldn't be a problem as long as you can make sure people still get their privacy so they can choose how much they want to be involved. Mm-hmm. Mm, what do you think? I... I'm glad you asked me this question now because three months ago I have told you that around 8 to 12 people is perfect for co-living. Mm-hmm. And now I'm realizing that it can be bigger. Um, I truly believe that you can have co-living spaces for 30 people, maybe even like 120 people um, having an entire building. And it's just that the dynamics will be different. So if you're eight, you're most probably going to be like way closer and more like a small family and like you know, living together. If you're 120, you're most probably going to have way more privacy. You might have your own apartment, mm-hmm. um, but you're going to share one roof and you're going to share one common event space and you might share one restaurant, etc. So I'm really curious, you know, there are like some, some bigger calling spaces like the Collective, which is amazing. And then you have also very small ones. So I'm not sure. I think that the future of, uh, it's one of the fundamental questions that co-living will need to figure out. It's like, what is the sweet spot for people living under there? And I think you can find, you can create harmony regardless of how many people live there. For myself, I'm curious to t- stay within the 10, 12 people right now. Mm-hmm. But I can also imagine, for example, taking a bit of, bigger building and creating like three units of eight people, which is 24 people total, maybe even four units, right? 30 people total living in this building, divided into sub-communities and sub-apartments, and then all sharing a big co-working space and a big event space that can also maybe be used by like outside people. So there could be like some hybrid models. It's super fascinating as I'm interviewing people from all over the world and in each place it looks different. And, and in each location, the founders has different idea of what they want the project to look like. Um, so I think in co-living, because it's still evolving, it's a very new idea. I'd say two years ago, you you said you heard about it five years ago. That's very early. Yeah. I think most people only got familiar with the term after they digest the term co-working, which was hard to, to understand at first, but now it seems so uh, familiar to everybody. And... Co-living is still trying to manifest itself in many, many ways. So I think we're going to see a lot more projects, a lot more 
creative ideas of how to make people um, live together in different ways in the city, in remote locations. It's just like it's, it's an <laughs> endless. It is. It is. And I think that so first of all, I, I I'm seeing I'm seeing that co-living is kind of where co-working was 10 years ago. Um, it's like really at the beginning, it's very, very niche down, like only a few people, like we're basically in the very early adopter phase, like the tech enthusiast phase, right? And then co-living itself is not new, it's just that the concept or like the, the new approach that we're having is new. So student living has been existing for years, like the same thing as like flat sharing, the same thing as like senior housing, right? Mm -hmm. But now when we think about intentional co-living, like creating co-living spaces for one specific type of audience that enhances your life and that is well thought through, that's a different story. And it's coming from a need, right? Because I think we're in this cycle, okay? So we used to live in a very tribal societies mm -hmm. and now we become very private and very independent as grown-ups, not after uh, student life, after college and everything. And now people realize they start to feel lonely again. You know, you don't want, you don't want to go to work and go back home and that's it. And what's life about if it's not about sharing it with other people? So people are trying to go back into living in, in communities and we have different ways of doing that. So online communities, it's one thing, but it's not enough. We want to have actual human connection. Mm. And I think co-living uh, for all ages is the answer to do it, but we still have to learn how to do it correctly uh, in order to not give up, um, you know, privacy and other things that are important to us as adults. Especially like I'm asking myself, I see a lot of people going to co-living for a couple of months. They love it. And then eventually they go back to normal private mm -hmm. living. And I, I wonder whether it's a question of privacy. Um, if people would love to join a co-living space for six years or 10 years of their life, how would it look like differently than most places now? Mm -hmm. You know, some models, you buy the apartment. In some models, it's it's a, like a very long-term solution, but same as part of a community. So this is very interesting to see how it's going to look like 10 years from now. Like you said, it's a very early adopters uh, stage. Yeah. You as an architect, have you looked into, like, for example, models of co-housing? Of course. Of course, I think, well, we have in Israel, we have kibbutz. Do you know kibbutz? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so kibbutz, if for, for our audience, if somebody don't know, kibbutz is about, uh, we're sharing economy. It's almost like an utopic society where everybody's working uh, for everybody. And, and so you don't have your own money. It's a bit extreme. You don't have your own money and you don't, have your, you don't own your house. You're just a member and everybody's sharing everything. So you work as much as you can and you get as much as you need. This is like the basic idea. But kibbutz in some places in Israel, um, it's working and in some places it had to change because of the change of lifestyle and also because of privacy, because it's a very close society. And after a while, they're a bit famous of gossiping. <laughs> So when people feel they can't live their life without other people judging them, then it's a problem. You don't, you, you can't be really free. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious. In, in the kibbutz society, like, is there co-living as well? 
Because to me, I see it more as co-housing, right? It's like small villages of people living next to each other and like in different houses. I think in some of them they have, especially for teenagers, they have some... Mm-hmm. It's mostly on in the countryside, so it's not an apartment, but you do have like a compound for each group age. And they have their own like communal space and con- common spaces and places where they all hang out and share... Like their life, um, yeah. But kibbutz is not exactly the same. It's just another idea of how people interact with each other. Yeah, and I truly believe that. So, for example, like in the uh, in the UK, um, they they recently like um, installed a, a government or a ministry of loneliness to fight the whole loneliness epidemic. So, around like sixty percent of people below thirty years old. Um, mm-hmm. You should double check that, but I, tr- I think that is the, the percentage. Mm-hmm. 60% of people below 30 years old um, feel lonely at home and don't feel part of a community. So, like, among the world, why we're more connected through social media, whatsoever, more people actually feel lonely. Mm-hmm. And, and how can we fight that, right? And I, I truly believe that co-living, same thing as co-housing or small villages, solves one fundamental need, and that's the need of belonging. That's the need of being part of a community or being part of of something bigger than just you. Mm-hmm. And while somebody convinced us we need to own everything, right? We need to have a washing machine and we need to have our own coffee maker. So we ended up alone at home having a lot of stuff. But nothing can replace that feeling when you go into like the local cafe in your street and, and you meet all the people and you drink coffee together. Okay, because it's about like self-relying. Yes. Right? So when people rely on each other, they feel happier. And it's a fact. So as much as we can take care of ourselves and be completely independent, maybe we don't need to. Yeah. Because that's a choice. And one thing I realized as well, like especially when you live in co-living spaces where you share basic utilities, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that you don't have to take care of anymore. Um, laundry for example right like before you needed to like spend an hour or two whatever a week to like clean all your things um and now it's being taken care of like same thing as cleaning same thing as sometimes you can automize cooking so mm-hmm. you suddenly have way more time how do you automize cooking how do you automize cooking uh, a couple of ways or you find an amazing french man in the house who loves <laughs> cooking and cooks for everybody or you hire a cook. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> Where I find this Frenchman? <laughs> well, you can go to gipadry.com. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love cooking, but only the desserts. So you're not going to last for long in my house. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I like cooking as well. I love cooking for flatmates. They always uh, ask me like uh, to do things from home and... It's a great way to do culture exchange. Amazing. Uh, so let me just check one more thing. So in in the meanwhile, I have a question for you. Have you ever lived in a co-living space? And if yes, how was it? And if no, why? And would you like to? Okay, so when I first arrived to Lisbon, so I was looking to, to rent a room in a shared flat with locals yeah. in order to get to know the city and to get like the best information of like where to go. And then when I learned about co-living, I wanted to check one place, but they wanted to charge me double the rent. And I think specific 
in Lisbon, I felt like I can connect with the community very easily. Mm. I, in that specific case, I didn't see the value of living in that place uh, in exchange for double the rent. So that, that is my experience with co-living at the moment. So I always like to live with people and naturally you live with like-minded people, but it's not always easy to find. And it would be so nice if somebody can like take care of things for me so I can focus better at my work. Uh, so I think I still need to give it another shot. And, and you mentioned one interesting point, which is right now the pricing of co-living. A lot of co-living places are priced high up. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, from a co-living operator's perspective, um, often a, currently a necessity because you don't have full bookings all the time because you, you know, it's not like a, when you share a flat with a few friends and you organize everything by yourself, when you're part of a co-living space, you have to pay a community manager and then you have the accountant behind it and then there's some taxes too because it's an incorporated business, etc. So suddenly, like the, the services that you're paying for, which is the rent and, and a, a few other things, are way higher than if you would organize it yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of co-living spaces are still struggling to find a sweet spot of how can we run a, a company with profits and like profitably um, while at the same time offering a price that is more or less the same that somebody would pay for like a room share, a flat share. Yeah. And not only that, because that place that I was looking into, they didn't really have a community. It was almost mm. like a, a renting system of rooms. Ghost town. Yeah. So I didn't feel like I don't mind paying more if yeah. I get true value. If I yeah. feel like, okay, I'm going to belong to something that I believe in. Yeah. But yeah, so it's not enough just to give me a room and a cleaning service once a week or twice a week. It's not, this is not co-living. And people know it's trending. So everybody decide to call their rent apartment business a co-living and it's not true. So they have to think again. <laughs> how to define it. Definitely. Good question though. <laughs> okay, so now I have a question for you. Go ahead. And this is a question that I'm asking all my guests before we end our interview. And I want you to answer very honestly and don't let any of your inner filters uh, or fears to get in, in the way. Okay. Okay, so imagine that you're in a bar and you had a few drinks or maybe a Mexican dinner or something like that, <laughs> like you told me before. <laughs> and, <laughs> and your mind is very light, and suddenly you have the craziest idea. So you take a napkin, and you write it down. And the next day you wake up and you find that napkin in your pocket. Uh, what does it say? You have the craziest idea. There is no limit of time or money. You can do whatever. What would you do? So right now, when I just reopened my eyes from that exercise, it said, uh, reconvert empty apartments into, into shared complexes. Mm -hmm. And it was also something that I was thinking of a couple of days ago. I was back in, uh, I took a little trip to Gili Islands. Um, it's like in the south of Bali. And I spent a few days there. And the, mm -hmm. the one question I asked myself was, re regardless of like co-living as, as a business, etc., how can we just reuse real estate that we have currently and and fill it up with people um, in a way that people can actually live together in a harmonious way right because um, mm -hmm. we don't have the space to build new ones so that would be written on it wow great answer <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you for yeah. sharing that. I, I love reuse of buildings and especially in Portugal, there are so many abandoned uh, factories and buildings. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I always feel like like a child in a candy shop walking around the streets and like uh, calling my name. <laughs> adi, adi, adi. <laughs> yeah, they're like, please help us, help us. Like, don't worry, don't worry, I'll take care of you. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for being with us today. I will share the links to your website and profile so everybody can connect with you. For sure. And then they can get me for the cooking class. <laughs> yes, please. And if anyone needs a chef, we have a French chef right here. <laughs> Beautiful. I want to thank you for being my guest. Thank you. And I want to wish you a lot of success. And for sure, we'll keep in touch and see how it goes. Thank you, Ari. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Ari. Hi guys, it's Adi again. I'm very happy to have you with me and I would like to ask for your help for the next season of the show. The next project I'm going to host will focus on unique experiences. If you've ever been to a place that made a strong impression on you, or if you started one yourself, a retreat center, a sustainable project, art gallery, hotel, somewhere in nature, anything that creates a special experience for the guest. It could be anywhere around the world. So send me the details and maybe you'll be on my show. And until the next time, go out and talk to strangers. It's been a pleasure. Ciao, ciao.